right, well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you, sing together with you this morning, and that's a joy to open God's Word together with you. So grab a Bible there that's close, your Bible, or there's a Bible in front of you if you don't have a copy, and open to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. It's where we're going to be this morning, Galatians chapter 1. So go ahead and find your place there, and we'll be there in just a few minutes. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can uh, take that one in front of you as our gift to you, and uh, take that home with you. And um, if you... Uh, have an app or your smartphone, you're free to open up and follow along on our church app, and there's notes there for you that you can follow along as well this morning. So, book of Galatians, as we continue with the story, uh, if you are visiting or maybe not been with us for a while, we're walking through the entire Bible this year, started in Genesis way back at the beginning, and now we find our place in Galatians chapter 1, a letter written by Paul to a group of churches there, and we'll be there in just a minute. But, uh, a little bit of wisdom uh, teaches us uh, this saying, or maybe this statement that you've used before, is choose your battles wisely. I think as parents, you've probably used that at least once or twice this week if you have young children. Sometimes there's things worth fighting over, and sometimes there's things that you just let go. Uh, wisdom helps us decide some things are worth fighting for, some things are just not, Right? And wisdom is trying to decide what those things are. So this week, a couple of illustrations came to my mind of things that I, I'm convinced are just not worth fighting for. Uh, one of those things I was reminded of later in the week, there's something I, I'm just convinced it's not worth the battle, it's not worth fighting for. So go ahead and put that up on the screen. Yeah, for me, just not worth fighting for. Right? All the men are like, amen. All the women are, well, you know, 50% at Michael's, you know, I know, I got it. Big deal for me personally, just not worth fighting for. Another illustration came to me on Friday as well. I don't know what you guys do the day after Thanksgiving in your family, but our family, it's tradition. We, we decorate our house and we get the trees out and we put up our ornaments and we string lights across the front of the house and I'm the one who's assigned to climb the, you know, the, the ladder about 20 feet up and fasten the lights on the eaves of our house because we really like that and it looks pretty and all that and really it's because my wife wants me to. But anyway, so that's my job. So I spent a lot of time doing that on Friday and literally risking my life 20 feet up and pl <laughs> plugged all the lights in, you know, and you test them, you plug them in, and every one of them is just working perfectly. And then the way I do it, I, I kind of string them up, and then I run the extension cord, and then when I'm finished, I plug the extension cord in for the dramatic, wow, they're all on together. So I strung all the lights, and I ran the cord down, and I'm ready for that dramatic moment. Evening has fallen. I mean, we've been, been at it all day, and the magical moment, you boop, plug in the extension cord, and I walk up from the basement. I'm ready to take in my work, and my wife's kind of standing there, and she doesn't really say a lot, and I, I know why, so... It kind of lit up, and here's what I saw in front of my house. Ready? Go ahead and put the picture. That! Now, come on. You all can relate to that. Does that not drive you crazy? So I tested every one of the lights, and there's this little patch of lights that doesn't work, and they're right in the middle of a strand. Should I take the strand down? Should I leave them up? And I'm standing there, and here's what's going through my mind. Ready? It's not worth the fight. So you know what I'm going to do? They're going to stay right like that. So if you're a type A person and you think, man, I just couldn't stand that, just don't even drive in my neighborhood because that's the way it's going to be the rest of Christmas season. 
unless my, unless my wife says, you need to go out there and fix it, which I'll be happy to do. Anyway, <laughs> so what's the point? The point is this. There are some things in life worth fighting for, and there are some things in life that are not worth fighting for. Now, the book of Galatians is a letter written from the Apostle Paul, and he is fighting for something of incredible value. The Apostle Paul writes a letter from the depths of his heart. He is as impassioned as he is anywhere in the New Testament. And he writes to a group of churches in a region called Galatia, and he is fighting for the purity of the gospel message that has already become corrupted in these churches. And the Apostle Paul determines that he is going to stick it all on the line, risk everything, and he is going to fight for the purity of this gospel message. And I want to say, 2,000 years later, you and I benefit from the fact he fought for the purity of the gospel message because it had become distorted here in these churches at Galatia. Now, a little bit of background will help us on the Apostle Paul. We use his name a lot. If you've grown up in church, you know maybe something about the Apostle Paul. But remember, the Apostle Paul grew up in Judaism He grew up as a Jew, he was a Jew, and he grew up as a Pharisee. Now, if you don't know what that is, a Pharisee was a part of this elite religious group. And man, they were the conservatives of the day. They believed every letter of the Old Testament. They held to every ceremonial rule and rite and ceremony. They held to all the circumspect details of the law. They believed every letter of God's Word. They were highly moral people. I mean, you met a Pharisee, you were like, that's what I want my son to grow up like. They were highly moral people. Paul even describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was the guy that kept all the customs, all the holidays. He only ate what the law of God told him to eat. Man, he followed it to the letter. But there was a problem with this way of thinking. I want you to get this this morning because we're not going to understand the book of Galatians if we don't understand the background. The problem with this pharisaical way of thinking was this. They had right behavior, wrong motive. They had circumspect behavior. But their heart was wrong because their motive was wrong. Here's what they believed. Here's what Paul believed most of his life. Ready? He fully believed that his morality... His commandment keeping, the traditions that he kept, the fact that he was Jewish, earned him a degree of merit and favor with God. So his entire life, his understanding of his relationship with God as he grew up was this. This is huge. Earning by doing and keeping favor with God. That was Paul's understanding of how it worked. That was the pharisaical understanding of how it worked. That's why the Pharisees and the religious leaders had such a problem with a young rabbi named Jesus who stepped on the scene and looked at these religious leaders and said, Hey guys, listen, you think you got it all together, but you are whitewashed tombs. Meaning you've done great cleaning up the outside, but on the inside your heart is full of dead men's bones 
you somehow think that keeping the rules and the traditions and the customs changes a human heart. No law ever has the capacity to change a human heart. Well, they were so offended by that, the Pharisees and the religious leaders killed Jesus. We're not going to put up with that. We are... We are nationalists. We're very proud of our understanding of Judaism. And this is how a person earns right with favor with God. And you're coming teaching this message of faith in Christ and the work of Christ and the gospel message of grace. And we're not going to put up with that. So Paul and those Pharisees made sure that Jesus was put to death. And then Paul, after the crucifixion of Christ, made sure that all the followers of Christ were silenced, right? You know that about Paul. After the crucifixion of Christ, Paul's life goal was to silence all the believers. Paul was ISIS of that day. (laughs) And I'm not saying that just for dramatic effect. Paul, out of religious zeal, was killing Christians because he thought he'd earned favor with God. (laughs) And here we are 2,000 years later reading a letter written by this guy. Remarkable. Well, Paul had one of those moments that was a game changer for Paul. You may know this story. I'm not going to go into details about it. But Paul was traveling from Jerusalem to a city called Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, he was blinded by a bright light, knocked off his horse, fell to the ground, and he met the resurrected Jesus Christ. (laughs) And Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You're going after my people. You're going after me. And in that moment, everything changed for Paul. He saw with his literal eyes, but even more important, he saw with the eye of faith that Jesus was who he said he was and that all these external efforts to achieve favor with God melted away when he saw, listen, Christ. And Paul even gives this testimony. Galatians 1, we're going to get there in a minute. You can follow if you want. I'm going to read this quickly. Paul gives his own story. Galatians 1.13, he says this, For you've heard of my former manner of Judaism, or life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, tried to destroy the church of God. I was advancing in Judaism. I was keeping all the rules, doing all the right things. Beyond many of my contemporaries, among many of my countrymen, verse 15. But when God, love this. You understand, Paul was not seeking Christ. And Jesus invades his life. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb. Why does he say that? Because Paul's entire worldview had changed. His life had been one of earning, of achieving, of finding approval in God's eyes by what I do. And then he realized, wait a minute, God put his grace on me. He set his affection on me in my mother's womb before I'd ever earned or achieved anything. Grace. He said, God set his affection on me in my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Paul uses the word grace over and over and over. Paul's entire life had been merit, earning, achieving, advancing. I've got to do the right thing. It all melted away and now grace is the message of the Apostle Paul. Called me through his grace and would please, verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He saw Christ. And everything began to make sense to him. Christ and Christ alone. 
Now listen, hang with me. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this about this event and his understanding now of faith. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, Philippians 3, 7, these things I've now counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Translation, all that I achieved, all that I accomplished, all that I held on to, all that I boasted about, it's loss. It just melts away. He said, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, when I saw Christ, and now I know Him, and God's welcomed me into fellowship with Him, everything else melts away. And he says this, and that I might be, verse 9, that I might be found in Him, not having a righteousness or a right standing, not having a right standing of my own derived from the law or law keeping, but that which is through faith. Faith, faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Stop right there. Transformational time for the Apostle Paul, who goes from Christianity's chief persecutor to now chief and greatest missionary ever. Why? Because he said, God, God graciously opened my eyes and I saw Christ. And all of my efforts and all of this idea of earning and all of this idea, if I could just do enough, then God will approve of me and be pleased with me, melted away. And I realized my only hope was total dependence, faith in the grace of God in Christ. It's a game changer for Paul. Therefore, you have the New Testament written by Paul, and you have the churches started in Galatia by Paul. So you come to Acts 13. This transformation has happened in the Apostle Paul. Come to Acts 13 that we looked at last week briefly. Paul is sent out. He and Barnabas and a missionary team, and they go out and they plant churches all over the region of Galatia. And Paul has one central message. He goes to these regions of the Gentile and he proclaims this, Acts 13, 38. You don't have to look it up, I'll just read it to you. He says this, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him, everyone who believes, believe, 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 everyone who believes is set free or freed from all things. Paul, what does it mean? Freed from What? Remember all of Paul's background and all of the bondage and all of the yoke that he lived under. He said, listen, my message is this. In Christ you are set free from all things. The idea that you fulfill the law to achieve righteousness before God, you're set free from that. The bondage of the law, you're set free from that. In Christ you're set free from all things. Man, that's a powerful verse. From which you could never be freed through the law of Moses. Listen, this way of thinking that you're going to earn and you're going to achieve is not the message of the gospel. So he proclaims this message of grace through faith in Christ alone. What was the result? Quickly. Acts 13, 49 says this, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Man, it was spread like wildfire. Churches were planted. Congregations were started. Paul traveled to these little towns. These fellowships are started. These churches are started. But everyone was not happy about Paul's message. That's why in Acts 13.50, the Bible says this. But the Jews in that region incited the devout 
women of prominence and the leading men of the city and then instigated a persecution against Paul and his message of grace and Barnabas and drove them out of their region. You can read about it in the book of Acts. He was driven out of the city of Lystra with stones. They stoned him because they have been taught this message of earning favor with God, keeping the commandments, keeping the customs. You must be circumcised if you're going to have a right relationship with God. Paul comes teaching this message of grace. They'll have none of it. So these new believers, and here's the conflict, and here's where we're going to land. This is where I get to understand what Paul's writing about with such great passion in the book of Galatians. So there's these cities of these churches that have been born and birthed by this message of grace in Christ through faith alone. And then these Judaizers come in, these false teachers, and they say, hold on. You want to believe in Jesus? You go right ahead. But you better realize you need to be circumcised as well. And you better keep the Sabbath, and you better keep the customs. You better outwardly become Jewish if you expect God to ever approve of you. And what happened was in these new churches, the gospel message began to be twisted and distorted and became Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, and the pure message of the gospel was adulterated and twisted and distorted. Now imagine, Paul's back in Antioch. And he gets word that this is what's going on in these churches. He had laid down his life to preach this gospel. And these men are coming in and they're distorting the gospel. And Paul is angry. Paul is impassioned. Paul is frustrated. Paul is heartbroken. Because he knows it's Christ. I mean, this life-changing event he had with Christ. He knows it's Christ. He came out of that system. He says, no, don't drag him back into that yoke of bondage and law. It's Christ. So, he sits down and he pins the letter of Galatians to these churches that the gospel message had become distorted. Now, if you've read the book of Galatians, maybe you read it this week as part of your reading. If you haven't read it, let me please plead with you. Take some time this week and sit down and read the six chapters of the book of Galatians. There is immense value for you as a believer. So Paul sits down and he writes with great passion and great zeal and he's determined, I'm going to fight for the purity of the gospel message. And that's why he writes the letter of Galatians. So he begins, chapter 1, verse 1. He say, that's a lot of introduction. Well, I want you to understand passion behind what Paul's doing. Now, verse 1 through 5 is really his introduction. He reminds them of some truths. I won't take time to read that. You can read that on your own. He wastes no time, and he gets to verse 6. And imagine this letter coming to you at the church of Galatia. Someone stands up and reads it publicly from the mouth and the pen of the apostle Paul. says this, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ. I'm amazed that you are so quickly, the word quickly is the word easily, or or with great ease, that you have deserted God and the message of Christ. The word deserting here is of a military deserter, one who voluntarily leaves one camp to go to another camp. It's the idea of a traitor. He says, you're a traitor. You've you've deserted grace and the message of the gospel. He says, for a different gospel, which is not really another. Only there are some who are disturbing you, agitating is the word, and want to distort or twist the purity of the gospel message of Christ. 
Paul's, it's, wor- it's worth fighting for. And he goes on again with great passion. You hear it in his voice. He says, verse 8, but, but even if we, Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven, now he's speaking a little metaphorically here. He says, if an angel shows up on your doorstep and starts giving you a message contrary to the gospel of faith in Christ through grace alone, if anybody comes, here's what he says. He is to be accursed. Curse him. The word curse, the idea of curse here is devoted to destruction. It's the word anathema. It says that that person be accursed. Paul doesn't fool around with those that want to twist and distort the gospel. Doesn't fool around with it. And if that wasn't clear enough, he says it again. Verse 9, as we've said before and I say again, if any man is preaching a gospel contrary to you, to what you've received, he is to be cursed. Man, with great passion, Paul is fighting for the purity of the gospel message. There's a battle that's going on here in the churches at Galatia. And again, it's the battle that's not a new battle. It didn't just start here. It's the same battle for truth that's gone on from the very beginning of time. That the battle was this. Is my relationship with God, is, my, is God's approval of me, His acceptance of me, based on what I earn, what I achieve, what I can accomplish, or is my right standing with God by grace and faith in the person and work of Jesus alone? There's two tensions there. You can't blend the two. Faith and earning are in contrast to one another. But it's not a new battle. It's the same battle that's raging throughout the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and 4. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve tried their own efforts to cover their own sin. God sends an animal, kills the animal, takes the skin of the animal, and covers their own sin as a picture of grace. Cain and Abel, the first boys, are fighting like brothers. Cain kills Abel. Why? Evidently, Adam had taught his sons that were, they knew they were not right with God. They knew there was sin there. How is a person made right with God? Cain determines, okay, I know what my daddy's taught me. I know what I've heard. But I'm going to bring the vegetables from my own garden as a picture of his own accomplishments and his own efforts. Here, God, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Abel, in faith, brings an animal as a sacrifice, realizing he's going to be made right with God based on the atonement of another that's going to come. There from the beginning of the Bible... The battle lines are drawn. Same battle of the Reformation. Martin Luther and the Reformers were willing to stand up and say, no, the Catholic Church has corrupted the gospel and added this do and this don't and this catechism and this rule and purgatory and this penance and all these things that are necessary for a person to be right with God. And the Reformers were willing to stand up and say, no, faith in Christ through grace alone in Christ. Same battle. Now listen. Same battle that rages in your heart and mine. You say, well, hey, wait a minute, Mike. I, I'm a believer. I know Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. Okay, but you need to know something about yourself. Your flesh naturally drifts to earning and law. Because you want to be able to say, look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Left to ourselves. We will drift toward earning and we will have the mindset. It is a yoke. It is 
bondage to us, but left to ourselves, we will have the mindset. We'll wake up in the morning. <laughs> All right. Here's my list. I got to get done today. Or God, somehow, somehow, some way, God will not love me. God will not approve of me. We'll put our head down on our pillow and we'll reflect throughout the day. Is there a place for confession and repentance? Absolutely, in the life of a believer, yes. But if you think you can do anything to increase or improve your standing before God, child of God, that is drifting over into earning. And that is the flesh. And that is what was going on in the church of Galatia. This mindset had drifted in and even these believers were being drawn away. Paul said, I'm so shocked. Who has bewitched you, he says. Who has caused this bondage to come into your life? So what was the result in the church at Galatia of this gospel being mixed? Let me give you a few results that were going on there. Number one, the church and churches that mix a gospel of grace and a gospel of works Churches become full of whitewashed tombs. Meaning churches become full of people who have really good behavior, but inside are dead men's bones. And churches become very arrogant and very prideful because they're proud of their accomplishments. It's a subtle shift over to what I can earn before God. It's, a sh- it's subtle. Secondly, churches can be full, and that's what was going on here at the church at Galatia, full of believers living in bondage. Listen to what Paul said, 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. said, verse 4, You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law or made right by law or made right by commandment. You have fallen from grace. What does that mean? We throw that phrase out there a lot in the church. Severed from Christ? What does that mean? Does that mean they were true believers and they lost their salvation? No, that's not what that means at all. The idea of fallen from grace here, the word fallen, literally means you have lost your grip of something. Meaning the believers there had lost their grasp, their understanding that my standing before God, God's love of me, God's approval of me, God's acceptance of me, and my Christian life is based on grace. What He has done on my behalf, it is a walk of faith. And there's a subtle drift to, no, I must earn, I must achieve, I must do. And there's this bondage that comes around our neck. Listen, the grace of God motivates our obedience. The grace of God motivates serving. But when we are serving and when we are giving and when we are doing and the mindset is I'm earning something that is the bondage of law, not the freedom of grace. And that's what was going on at the church of Galatia. So they were whitewashed tombs. They were living in bondage. And thirdly, they were divisions in the local church. They were fighting with one another. See, why were they fighting? Well, earning, this idea of earning or this idea of the flesh is rooted in pride. What I can achieve, what I can do. And ultimately, pride always compares. Pride is always comparison. So Paul writes in Galatians 5.15, You are biting and devouring one another. Galatians 5.26, You are boastful. You are envying one another. You are comparing yourself. Because a righteousness that's based on my own effort always compares my righteousness to someone else's. It becomes divisive. It becomes clannish and cliquish. And that's exactly what was going on in the church of Galatia. Listen, this subtle drift over into earning and this subtle drift that 
causes us to lose our grip on the grace of God and being motivated by the grace of God rather than earning. It's a subtle drift in our lives. It even, watch this, it even happened to Peter. Paul tells a story here very quickly in 111 where Peter shows up and comes to Antioch, the church there, and Peter got sucked into this lie of earning rather than the grace of God. So, Where is it? Verse 11, Paul says this, but when Cephas, he calls him Cephas, not Peter, he says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Can you imagine that? Paul and Peter in a knockdown drag out right there at Antioch? Paul's going to fight for the purity of the message. Peter, what happened? Verse 12 says, for prior, for the, prior to the coming of certain men from James, a group of Judaizers, they really weren't from James, but they were Judaizers who were trying to distort the gospel. They came and showed up at Antioch. Prior to that, Peter had eaten with the Gentiles. He had hung out with the Gentiles, Peter being a Jew. He was perfectly fine in his freedom to hang out with non-Jews and Gentiles until this group of Judaizers showed up and they said, hey, Peter, all into grace, all into that stuff, that's fine, but you better be careful hanging out with these Gentiles. Some of these guys have not even been circumcised. Some of these guys don't keep the Sabbath. Some of these guys don't keep the tradition. And Peter, you're hanging out with them. What are you thinking, Peter? And what was the result? I mean, Peter, Peter knew Christ. Peter was born again. Peter understood the gospel of faith through grace alone. But Peter, the Bible says, what happened? But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. He was afraid. And he began to withdraw and cause divisions in the church. He began to think somehow because of his Jewishness, he was a little bit better than those around him. Pride always leads to divisions within the church. And that's what was going on here. Paul opposes him to his face. Paul sets him right, if you will. Verse 13 says, The rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas, the pastor, was caught up in the lie. Barnabas was carried away by their all right so there's a lot here what do we do with this let me let me give you two questions that we're going to end our time with that maybe help summarize this a little bit and help you i'm going to ask two questions i'm going to try to answer them straight from the book of galatians and we're going to be done question number one is this very simple very basic very clear how is a person made right with god paul tell us help us how is a person made right with god secondly how do we walk with god because it's so easy to drift over. Paul, help us with that. Number one, how's a person made right with God? Look at, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 16. As clear as anywhere in your Bible, Paul lays it out. He says, yet we know, yet we know that a person, a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, a student, is not justified by works of the law or earning, but through faith, trust, dependence in the person of Christ. So we also have believed, we've trusted, we've trusted Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. He says it again. Person's made right, not by the works of the law, not by earning, not by doing, by faith in the finished work of Christ. If that was not enough, he says it again in verse 16. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times, same verse. Very clear. Listen, don't just hold that as a doctrinal position. Oh, yeah, I believe in grace through faith in Christ alone. I believe that. I'll, I'll live and die on that. Listen, you're standing tomorrow. You're standing tonight. You're standing next week, child of God, is rooted firmly and completely and wholly in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Stand firm in that. 
The enemy will try to pull you away from that. The enemy will try to sink into your mind, this mindset of, okay, I better start doing this to earn something. Listen, as Christians, we pursue as believers. Yes, there's activity and we're diligent and there's effort of the Christian life, but not earning If we begin to do anything motivated by earning better, standing better, favor, it is a distortion of the gospel of grace. Our motivation is the grace of God. The Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, yet I labored more than all of them. I worked hard, I strove toward Christ, yet not I the grace of God within me. The motivating factor is what Christ has already done, not what we will achieve by our doing. Did you hear that? Oh, and that is an eternal difference, and that is a lifestyle difference, and that is a difference between a church that is divided and a church that lives under the yoke and a church that is dying because you cannot survive under the yoke of trying to think you can earn favor with God. Live out of the freedom that is given in Christ. Freedom to what? Freedom to love, freedom to serve, freedom to give, freedom to live. This life that Christ has given us. So how is a person made right with God? Very clearly, 2.16. Second question, let me answer this and we'll close. How then, Paul, I get that. How then does a person daily walk with God? The answers are all right here in the book of Galatians. This is basic stuff. Galatians 3.3, Paul says, Are you so foolish, Galatians? You've begun by the Spirit, i.e. faith through grace. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, you came to know God through faith. Do you think now you're becoming more like Christ? The process of sanctification happens through your earning? In other words, here's what a lot of people think. I know I'm saved by faith in Jesus, but my Christian life is all up to me. Do we have a part to play? Sure, we have a part to play. But Paul, help me understand, how do I live the Christian life? I know I come to know you by faith, but how do I walk today? Galatians 2.20 is where we're going to finish. Ready? Turn there. Look there. It'll be up on the screen. Now, I'll just tell you, if you don't have this verse memorized, I encourage you to put this thing to memory. Put it in your car. Put it on your mirror, your bathroom, wherever you spend a lot of time. Get this thing memorized. This is a life-shaping truth. From God's Word, Galatians 2.20. Here we go. Paul, can you give us some help? Verse 19 says, Through the law I died to the law, meaning I, I, I live that life of trying to keep up with the law. And he says, I died to it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It doesn't work. But now, Paul says, as a believer in Christ, here's what is true of me. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It's no longer I who live. The word I here is the word ego in the original language. It's the idea that we get the word ego from. My old self, my old manner of life, the old mindset that I earn something or achieve something before God. You know what you do with it? You crucify it. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, this life that I live here, This life in reality, today, tomorrow, this life that I need to live, I live by what? Faith. I live by what? Faith. Come to know Christ by faith? We live by faith. What does that look like? In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says we live the Christian life the same way we came to know God. We live by faith. What does that look like in a day in and day out? Faith comes by 
hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Faith as a believer is knowing what is true and depending wholly on what is true of you right now in Christ. What is true of you right now, believer? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. What that means is that the penalty of the law, the punishment of the law that we have all broken is no longer binding on you. You know why? Because you're dead. If I go out tomorrow and I break a traffic, t- I break a traffic law, I have a ticket, I broke the law. If before the police come and, and carry out that penalty, I die, you can't collect on that traffic ticket on a dead man. Listen, the law has no more penalty on you because you're dead in Christ. You're dead in Christ. When Christ died by faith, you're united with Him. Your union is with Him. Literally, as a Christian, this is marvelous truth. When Christ died, you died with Him. And your old man died with him. That means the punishment and the penalty of the law is no longer binding on you. And watch this. Paul says in Romans 6, the power of sin in your life is broken. Why? Go to a cemetery, stand over the grave, and try to tempt a dead man with money. Why? Ain't going to work. Right? Why? He's dead. You know how you battle temptation? You battle temptation with the truth of God's Word. You bear your life in the truth of God's Word. And the enemy comes at you with that temptation. You say, no, that is not who I am. I am dead to that. I'm dead to that. That is no longer who I am. Who are you? He tells us, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Listen, beloved. Get your heart Get your mind around this life-altering reality that you are not made right with God by rule-keeping. You are made right with God by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you live the Christian life because He is living in you. He is empowering you. He is directing you. He is leading you. He is motivating you. He is loving you no matter what. It is the life of Christ lived out through you. I am dead to sin. I am dead to my old way of life. And the Son of God by His very Spirit is alive in me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And it is truths like that that you build your life on. My relationship with God is not based on an external lifeless law code, but the living, resurrected Son of God living in me. His power, His righteousness, His position before the Father. Jesus Christ lived perfectly. Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous. When God the Father looks at me through Christ, in Christ, He sees Christ, and I am righteous before God because of Christ. And by the way, no act, no rule that I might keep can improve on the standing of King Jesus. Blameless. Blameless. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, we we love We serve. We give. There's joy. There's life. Not that I generate. It is generated by the very Spirit of Jesus Christ living in me. And you say, how did all that come about? How did I get all that? End of Galatians 2.20. Don't forget this. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. 
point is, it is all an act of the grace of God. You didn't earn any bit of it. It is grace. And it is grace in which we stand. And it is grace in which we live. And it is the Spirit of Christ that empowers us to grow in the ever-increasing likeness of Jesus Christ. That is worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask our team to come on up and they're going to begin to play in just a minute. We're going to sing a song to remind us of this incredible truth that we've just talked about. And as they're coming, I want to end with a quick illustration that might help sum all this up for some of you. So many years ago, I heard this story. It was about this young woman and young man that became married. And they got married pretty quick. They were very young, kind of naive. And all that this woman wanted was to be loved by this man. She wanted to be accepted by this man. She wanted to be unconditionally loved by this new husband. That's all she desired. But not long into marriage, she realized this man is a hard, demanding, relentless man. And he loves me and he accepts me if, if I do everything he wants me to do and I perform well and I'm a good wife. Their whole marriage was built upon this earning mindset that he accepts me if... She never knew unconditional love. And that's all she knew for years and years. And he would even go to work and he would draw out this list of to-dos that he expected her to do. And when he got home, they better be finished. Year after year after year after year, that's how she lived. She wanted to be accepted. Finally, that man died. That woman came out of that and realized the yoke that she had been under. And several years later, God brought a godly man into her life. And he loved her. Not because she performed, not because she achieved. He set unconditional love on her. Not because of what she did. She didn't earn it. He chose to love her. And that's a difference between earning and grace. And one day after being married many years with this husband that she knew loved her no matter what, she found one of those old lists There are like 15 things on there that this former husband had demanded of her that she had to do. And she looked at that list and she realized, wait a minute. I'm doing all of those now. Not to earn his love. Listen. But because he loves me. That is living out of grace. Don't let anyone take that from you. Grace through faith in Christ alone. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this truth. God, help this to transform our days, our nights, our hours, our minutes, that we are accepted by grace in Christ through faith alone. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand, let's sing, and let's celebrate these great truths that we just...